Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Uh, good morning out there. This is Jay Levine, your host of uh, Antitrust Law Source uh, podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Alan Carter and our Antitrust and Consumer Protection Group. How you doing, Alan? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jay? Okay. Um, and uh, before we go any further, let me wish Alan a belated happy birthday. Um, <laughs> uh, we 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 won't ask how old he is, but uh, he's far younger than me, so that's that's all that matters for now. Um, you wouldn't tell uh, by the gray hairs, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, first and foremost, let let us wish everyone out there um, that we hope you are all uh, safe and healthy, and that you and your loved ones are are taken care and um and that hopefully uh this pandemic will be over uh, shortly and that uh in the meantime you all uh stay safe healthy and uh relatively sane this is uh being brought to you by our res- uh we're in our respective homes uh I'm in Washington and Alan you're in Columbus right I'm in Columbus Ohio that's right so uh so this is going to be a uh, multi-part series on antitrust and consumer protection as it relates to the you know ongoing health public health crisis COVID-19 and while we know uh people have seen various articles and the like we thought a podcast series might help give you a little bit more insight into sort of the rules of the road that uh that we just have to keep in mind and some of the public and uh, pronouncements. And then we'll also be, you know, talking about price gouging and about uh, some of the things DOJ, the FTC, and particularly the states are doing in that. And we're going to wrap up our series with an episode that's really going to focus on the post-COVID-19 environment and some of the things you need to uh, be aware of or think about and try to do now to protect yourself for that post-COVID-19 environment. So without any further ado, um, I guess the question uh, everybody wants to know is, what are the rules of the road during this time? I mean, do, you know, obviously antitrust and consumer protection at, at some level is not at the top of the everybody's lists um, of what they're concerned about, but there still needs to be some concern and, and mindfulness about some of the types of things that people are doing. We hear a lot about competitor collaborations and, and the like. And, well, Alan, I mean, give me your perspective. Do you think people can just sort of say, we're doing this for COVID-19 and, you know, that, that'll protect them? No, I that, that <laughs> won't protect them. It's certainly not. Um, and this is the time, i just echo what you were saying, that is particularly industries that might be uh, intending to work with their competitors to acquire supplies or, or anything like that. Uh, a DOJ has relaxed some joint venture requirements and, and rules, and I, I'm sure you'll touch on that a little bit, Jay, but this isn't a time where, the, where you can just go out and meet with your competitor and you know, make agreements that might otherwise be anti-competitive. Those rules are still in place, and the DOJ has made clear that they intend to continue to enforce antitrust rules where it makes sense to do so. Yeah, I, DOJ and the FTC came out with a with a statement, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they came out with a, a joint statement, um, and they provided some some uh, clarification on exactly how they intend to proceed uh, during the next 
month or so with regard to uh, enforcement. One of the things they did say is that they're going to provide expedited review of, you know, opinion letters and that sort of thing, providing feedback uh, in, within seven days is their goal, uh, as opposed to the normal, more lengthy process. So, you know, that's one one thing that that uh, firms that might be engaged in joint ventures or uh, competitive collaborations might want to take advantage of. Um, but the DOJ also came out uh, prior to that, about a week before those review procedures were announced, they came out with a statement requesting that informants come forward if they have uh, any information that might show that there are price fixing or other antitrust violations uh, going forward in the industry. Just to, to reorient everyone, remember the antitrust laws, um, or the two prominent antitrust laws, Section 1 of the Sherman Act makes it illegal for two companies to get together to uh, agree to and do something that is anti-competitive. Now, there are certain things that are obviously anti-competitive, which are, you know, uh, you know, allocating markets, allocating customers, price fixing, bid rigging, and, and the like. And then there is other conduct that is not so obviously anti-competitive, but still uh, can be, you know, given the circumstances. And, and those kinds of issues are judged under what we call the uh, rule of reason. And by and large, the for the most part, what the agencies are talking about and what everybody's been talking about is our actions under Section 1, where two companies get together to do something. Um, there's also Section 2, which prohibits monopolizations, uh, attempts to monopolize, and conspiracies to monopolize. And we'll touch on that in a little bit, but, but by and large, we're talking about competitor collaborations, and the DOJ and the FTC have guidelines on competitor collaborations, and those guidelines are still in force, and essentially the rules of the road here are pretty much exactly the same as they always have been, but it's just the question is when you have a competitor collaboration, uh, one of the issues is, is there a legitimate objective, and obviously COVID-19 gives people a a legitimate objective to be doing something with their competitors, right, Alan? That's right. Uh, you know, and, and I think actions that have the objective of solving the COVID-19 related problem are more likely to be judged under the rule of reason uh, as opposed to uh, per se analysis. Uh, but that doesn't again, give carte blanche to any competitors to go out and, and join uh, hands and, and get things done. I, I think one area that is particularly um, more likely, I guess, to be judged under the rule of reason are procurement, joint ventures, and those sorts of right. things. What do you think about that, Jay? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we already know that, um, uh, you know, buying cooperatives and, and, and the like are judged under the rule of reason and, um, there's a lot of efficiencies there. And, and again, depending on how it's structured, often really don't have too much anti-competitive potential. And so, and especially under the COVID-19, where if you need companies to get together, um, for efficiency sake or for, you know, for uh, you know, to get the supplies expeditiously, um, especially if we're talking about you know COVID nineteen 
related type materials, um, that's just going to, you know, increase the legitimacy of of, of the objective. But, you know, it, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of companies right now are going to try to get together and say, okay, what what are our best practices? What what should we be doing vis-a-vis our our suppliers? What should we be doing vis-a-vis our employees and things like that? And and again, mostly best practices are, are generally okay, but you know the devil's in the details, right, Alan? I mean, you know, we could we could start you know developing best practices, but that can sometimes have some you know spillover effect or and and I can I and I competitive potential down the road, especially when you're talking about you know you know employees and 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 hirings and and firings and things like that, right? Yeah, the, the employees are a really interesting um, angle for the, for me. I, I think uh, as competitors come back online and start uh, bringing those employees back into the fold, I worry a little bit about competitors uh, engaging in no poaching agreements or agreeing not to in some way compete over employees or agreeing how to handle employee compensation while the employees are furloughed. All, all of those things could be fraught with antitrust violations. And, uh, no, you know, non-poaching agreements have been a subject of DOJ enforcement recently and FTC enforcement recently. But, you know, some some collaboration is necessary in light of the public crisis. And uh, to your point earlier, I think um, what competitors really need to be asking themselves is, is this collaboration necessary and is it narrowly tailored to the crisis itself? Is it going to spill over into other areas of um, business or or other areas that are not COVID-19 related? How long is this guideline or agreement going to be in place? Is it going to extend well past COVID-19 uh, related purpose? If it is, then it's probably going to be looked at more strictly than uh, other sorts of agreements. Um, so I think those are the, the sort of things that competitors need to watch out for as they develop guidelines or any uh, employment-related agreements. No, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, and you know, w- one of the questions is, you know, there's a there's a fine line between sharing information and agreeing. And, you know, the question will will be, if there was an agreement, did there have to be an agreement? And then a lot of times there's going to be a question is, was there agreement or were we just sharing information? But I think if, if you know, folks, you know, keep to the, to the kind of uh, guidelines you were talking about in terms of making sure it's tailored, it's necessary, it's no, it's no broader in scope and no longer in duration than necessary, you know, you're going to be obviously in, on, on, on sure footing than you will otherwise, and that goes for just sort of agreements, information exchanges, um, and the like. Um, one of the, you know, I always tell clients one of the things you you should you should think about is is the conduct you're intending to do will it will it inherently increase price or reduce output or um, uh, or the like um, or will it basically have no effect on that. And that's kind of just a gut check as to whether the conduct is going to be, you know, anti-competitive or, or not. And uh, companies got to be 
got to be you know honest with themselves when they when they make that assessment because you know sometimes we think oh well of course this is necessary it's not going to do any of any of these things but you got to sort of have a little bit of a crystal ball and kind of see where where the conduct may or may not lead to because there could be unintended consequences from from some of our actions that won't be you know known until sometime later down the road when you get sued right yeah, that's a really great rule of thumb, even outside of the COVID-19 uh, time frame. It's just a good rule of thumb. Um, one one thing that you had raised, Jay, that I thought was really interesting was this idea of, of companies uh, withholding essential facilities. Um, could you talk about that for a second, Jay? Yeah, so you know, there's there's a lot of times that companies cooperate with their competitors either because it it makes sense to. Um, uh, if if I have overproduction and you have uh, underproduction, or you you don't have enough capacity, and so I sell you something so that you can satisfy your customers, um, uh, or even just I have uh, something that's sort of essential to be able to compete, and I license it or I. I make it available to my competitors um, for whatever reason, and then I take this public health crisis as an opportunity to shut it down. So I effectively exclude them from the market. Well, you know, there, there, you know, if I do it in connection with other people, that could be a Section One problem. But if I do it even on my own and I have market power, it could be a Section Two monopolization power. And and it's just we need to think of why we're doing what we're doing. Now, of course, if we're shutting it down because we need it for ourselves, okay, that 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 is probably good. But as Rahm Emanuel once famously said, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And if that is your or your or your salesman's kind of or your or your business people's frame of you know reference in this, uh, you, you may want to think twice about it because while essential facilities and these kinds of claims have a you know the courts have a love hate relationship with them, they're they're still they're still on the books, and um, you, you got to be careful because uh, you know. You don't want to sort of use the crisis as an excuse to get rid of a maverick competitor, so to speak, or or th- that you know somebody you let you know hang around for whatever reason, and now you see the ability to get rid of him or her. Um, that that probably is 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 not a legitimate justification, and and could be the subject of of lawsuits. Um, so I, I, I do yeah. think. <laughs> Absolutely, and that might be that might uh, be a good teaser for episode three on the, what the post-COVID nineteen world looks like, and yes. uh, how jurors <laughs> might react to companies that do things like that. Exactly, exactly. That's that's going to be our episode three. But I, I, I want to go back to um, something you had said earlier. So let's say you you find yourself, you know, obviously this this applies if you're a manufacturer of disinfectant wipes or face masks or, you know, any of the, you know, various uh, articles that we find ourselves buying now that we didn't really buy a whole lot before, or at least at the at the rate where um, we are now. But even for, for other things as well, where you find yourself needing to collaborate at some level or wanting to collaborate at some level 
with your competitors to ensure supply, to ensure whatever. I mean, this is uh, true for the healthcare industry. It's true for the pharmaceutical industry, but it's care for, it's it's true for the agricultural and food industry. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things um, that that this is impacting the technology industry and the like. So let's say you want to take some action, um, but you're really unsure as to whether, you know, it's a close call. There are procedures by the antitrust agencies that you can go and seek their advice. Um, for DOJ, it's called a business review letter. And for the FTC, it's called the um, advisory opinion. And at the FTC level, there's two advisory opinions. There's one that comes out of the commission, which is official commission policy. And then there's the staff advisory opinion where it's not official commission policy. It doesn't necessarily bind the commission, but staff is giving you their best guess. And it's, and it's highly unlikely that the commission will, will initiate an action that is contrary to what the staff, um, uh, advice to you was, but uh, normally, normally, those take a few months to get that opinion. Obviously, hopefully, within a few months, we're we're all back to our normal um, lives. But uh, in, in any event, I don't think anybody who's doing something COVID nineteen related can wait a couple months. So the agencies have promised to quicken it up, right, um, Alan? And what have they promised to do essentially? The DOJ and the FTC have provided separate procedures, and they, they say that if, if you request the DOJ business review letter related to COVID-19, you can submit those uh, via email, actually, to a specified email address. And in the request, you want to explain and provide descriptions of the nature and the rationale of the proposal that you want reviewed. And they are committing to trying to get these um, – and these reviews done within seven days and the intentions, uh, the enforcement intentions that DOJ, for instance, would be in effect for a, a year from the date of the response. So mm -hmm. they, they can, you know, parties can rely on that for a year. Um, it, like you said, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any enforcement, but given the, the circumstances um, here, it's probably pretty unlikely that the DOJ would do anything contrary to the that that uh, business review letter that they've issued, right? And and a similar and there's a similar uh, promise by the FTC with respect to staff advisory opinions. Now, now they again we would we would uh, cancel you to talk to your antitrust counsel in terms of submitting such a request uh, to either agency because obviously experienced antitrust counsel will know what needs to be there, what documentation needs to go, and knows how to frame the issue the best so that you can get a favorable response as, as soon as possible. But the couple of things that you should be aware of, first, these are you know seven calendar days after receiving all necessary information. Now, again, that's a relative term, all necessary information. So, again, that's why, really, you should engage um, antitrust counsel because they'll know what information the, both the FTC and the, uh, and the DOJ are going to be uh, looking for. So there's also another, um, there's the National Cooperative Research and Production Act, where provides also a means that if you have um, an R&D joint venture, you can get, you know, 
sort of pre-clearance uh, on that as well, and they have, they have both agencies have have uh, agreed to expedite requests under that as well. So, and even though R and D joint ventures tend to be among uh, the most permissible under the antitrust laws, nevertheless, sometimes, you, especially production, you, you sort of want to get a, um, a pre-clearance. And depending if it's significant enough, it, it may very well uh, pay to do that. And, you know, sometimes you can't wait, but and that's why before really you do anything, you should talk to your antitrust counsel about what it is that you're, you're thinking of doing. And obviously, certain things you, you know you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't be talking about prices about exchanging competitively sensitive information. You shouldn't be talking about... You might not want to ex- <laughs> exclude uh, others at this exactly. point. Exactly. If you have the patent on masks, you might want to share it, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And you, and you don't, and you want to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you don't agree with others about who you're going to deal with or, or who you're not. Every company is allowed to determine who they can deal with, but you just got to make sure that those decisions are made unilaterally and not cooperatively. And if they are made cooperatively, you need to really make sure with your antitrust counsel that there's good reasons for the agreement. Again, all the rules of the road are in place. What what is a little bit different is you're just there's there's just this new justification, but you got to be careful that the new justification doesn't swallow up um, all of the rules. And um, you know, you, you just you got to be careful out there, no matter what. And let's face it, DOJ and the FTC will be on the prowl for uh, companies who who um, you you know have a competitor co- collaboration that's protectual. I mean, you can imagine, Alan, that, you know, sure. uh, companies figure out, oh, man, you know, now we get to talk, and then they talk about God knows what, right? Right, yeah, and that's an, that's a good point, too. I think it leads me to be our last point, which is if you're, if you're going to be – if you're a company and you're going to be engaged in – sort of industry-wide uh, communication or communication with your competitors, it's always a good idea to have experienced antitrust counsel monitoring that call, especially in these times. And that that can at least help guide the conversation away from areas that might be fraught in, in sort of these uncertain times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have an agenda. Know, everybody should know what you're talking about. Have someone on the call just to be able to blow the whistle if you start going out of bounds. And, uh, I mean, that'll, that'll keep you, uh, uh, safe and, and on the road. Um, so, uh, you know, th- those are the, those are the broad guidelines. Hopefully, uh, you know, everyone is, is adhering to them anyway. I guess the last thing I just make sure that everybody knows is please, please, please make sure your employees, uh, know that especially in this time, no kidding around, no, no emails with, uh, hey, now we can finally get rid of that pesky competitor. Uh, it, it's, it may have been said in jest, but I promise you, and we'll talk about this more in episode three, six years from now, five years from now, in a courtroom, it's not going to look so funny. No. No, it won't. And, and it, it might be a good time to, for you know executives or leaders in these companies or divisions to send emails reminding their employees of the same, like you just said, uh, to prevent that email from showing up in the courtroom in a few years. 
Exactly, exactly. So stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. Uh, we hope you, uh, you get through this crisis as unscathed as possible. And, you know, from Alan and I, best wishes to everyone. And um, we will uh, talk to you if you need to get a hold of us. Um, uh, obviously, Antitrust Law Source is our publication and our podcast. Um, you can email me at the letter J, L-E-V-I-N-E, at porterite.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever whatever social media you want. Um, you can use a good old phone, 202-778-3021. Um, uh, Alan, your uh, contact information? Sure. My my email is acarter at porterright.com, and uh, my phone number is 614-227-4441, and I'm also available on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay, have a great day, everyone, and we'll uh, speak to you again in our next episode. Thanks. Take care. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose, and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.